Section nine, chapter five, part one of the betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni, chapter five, part one. Father Cristoforo stopped on the threshold and quickly perceived by a glance at the women that his presentiments had not been unfounded while raising his beard by a slight movement of the head backwards he said in that interrogative tone which anticipates a mournful reply well lucia answered by a flood of tears her mother began to apologize for having dared but he advanced and seated himself on a three-legged stool and cut short all her excuses by saying to lucia calm yourself my poor daughter and you continuing he turning to agnesi tell me what has happened the good woman related the melancholy story as well as she could while the friar changed colour a thousand times at one moment raising his eyes to heaven the next kicking his heels on the ground at the conclusion of the recital he covered his face with his hands and exclaimed o blessed lord but without finishing the sentence he turned again to the women poor things said he god has indeed visited you poor lucia you will not forsake us father sobbed lucia forsake you replied he great god with what face could i again make request to him if i should forsake you you in this state you whom he confides to me don't despair he will help you he sees all he can make use even of such an unworthy instrument as I am to confound a... Let us see. Let me think what I can do for you. So saying, he leaned his left elbow on his knee, laid his forehead on his hand, and with the right grasped his beard and chin, as if to concentrate and hold fast all the powers of his mind but the most attentive consideration only served to show more distinctly the urgency and intricacy of the case and how few how uncertain and how dangerous were the ways of meeting it instill shame into don abondio and make him sensible of how much he is failing in his duty shame and duty are nothing to him when overwhelmed with fear inspire him with fears how can i suggest one that would overbalance the dread he already has of a musket inform the cardinal archbishop of all and invoke his authority this requires time and in the meanwhile what might not happen and afterwards supposing even this unhappy innocent were married would that be a curb to such a man who knows to what length he might proceed and resist him how 
ah if i could thought the poor friar if i could but engage in this cause my brethren here and at milan but it is not a common affair and i should be abandoned don rodrigo pretends to be a friend to the convent and professes himself a favour of the capuchins and his followers have more than once taken refuge with us i should find myself alone in the undertaking i should be opposed by meddling quarrelsome persons and what is worse i should perhaps by an ill-timed endeavour only render the condition of this poor girl more hopeless having considered every view of the question the best seemed to be to confront don rodrigo himself and try by entreaties the terrors of the life to come and even of this world if that were possible to dissuade him from his infamous purpose at least he could by this means ascertain whether he continued obstinately bent on his wicked design discover something more of his intentions and act accordingly while the friar was thus engaged renzo who for reasons that every one can divine could not long absent himself made his appearance at the door but seeing the father absorbed in thought and the women beckoning to him not to interrupt him he stood silent on the threshold raising his head to communicate his design to the women the friar perceived renzo and saluted him with his usual affection increase and rendered more intense by compassion have they told you father asked renzo in an agitated tone only too much and for that reason i am here what do you say to the rascal what do you wish me to say of him he is far away and my words would be of no use but i say to you my renzo trust in god and he will not forsake you what blessed words exclaimed the youth you are not one of those who always wrong the poor but the senior curate and that senior doctor don't recall those scenes renzo which only serve to irritate you uselessly i am a poor friar but i repeat what i have said to these poor women poor as i am i will not forsake you ah you are not like the world's friends good-for-nothing creatures that they are you would not believe the protestations they made me in prosperity ha <laughs> ha they were ready to give their lives for me if i had had an enemy i had only to let them know it and i should have been quickly rid of him and now if you were to see how they draw back at this moment renzo perceived on raising his eyes to those of his auditor that the good friar's face was clouded and he felt that he had uttered something wrong he only added to his perplexities however and made matters worse by trying to remedy them i i meant to say i, I don't at all mean that is i meant to say what did you mean to say have you then begun to spoil my work before i have undertaken it it is well for you that you have been undeceived in time what 
you went in search of friends and such friends who could not have helped you had they been willing and you forgot to seek the only one who can and will assist you do you not know that god is the friend of the afflicted who put their trust in him do you not know that threatening and contention gain nothing for the weak and even if here he forcibly grasped renzo's arm his countenance without losing of its authority expressed the ground and his voice became slow and almost sepulchral even if they did it is a terrible gain renzo will you trust to me to me did i say a feeble mortal a poor friar no but will you trust in god oh yes replied renzo he is in truth the lord very well promise me that you will not attack that you will not provoke any one that you will be guided by me i promise you lucia drew a long breath as if she were relieved from a great weight and agnesi exclaimed bravo my son listen my children continued friar cristoforo i will go to-day and speak to this man if it please god to touch his heart and give force to my words well but if not he will show us some other remedy you in the meanwhile be quiet and retired avoid gossip and don't show yourselves to-night or to-morrow morning at the latest you shall see me again so saying he cut short all their thanks and benedictions and departed he returned first to the convent where he arrived in time to join the chorus in chanting dined and then set off on his way towards the den of the wild beast he had undertaken to tame the small but elegant palace of don rodrigo stood by itself rising like a castle from the summit of one of the abrupt cliffs by which the shore of the lake was broken and diversified our anonymous author only adds to this indication that the site it would have been better to have given the name in full was rather on the side adjoining the country of the betrothed about three miles distant from them and four from the convent at the base of the cliff on the side looking towards the lake lay a group of cottages inhabited by the peasantry in the service of don rodrigo the diminutive capital of his little kingdom it was quite sufficient to pass through it to be assured of the character and customs of the country casting a glance into the lower rooms should a door happen to be open one saw hanging on the wall fowling pieces spades rakes straw hats nets and powder flasks in admired confusion everywhere might be seen powerful fierce-looking men wearing a large lock turned back upon their head and enclosed in a net old men who having lost their teeth appeared ready at the slightest provocation to show their gums women of masculine appearance with strong sinewy arms 
prepared to come in to the aid of their tongues on every occasion even the very children playing in the road displayed in their countenances and behaviour a certain air of provocation and defiance father christoforo passed through this hamlet and ascended a winding footpath to a small level plot of ground in front of the palace the door was shut a sign that the master of the mansion was dining and would not be disturbed a few small windows that looked into the road the frameworks of which were disjointed and decayed with age were defended by large iron bars and those of the ground floor were so high that a man could scarcely reach them by standing on the shoulders of another perfect silence reigned around and a passer-by might have deemed it a deserted mansion had not four creatures too animate and too inanimate disposed opposite each other outside given some indication of inhabitants two great vultures with extended wings and pendant heads one stripped of its feathers and half consumed by time the other still feathered and in a state of preservation were nailed one on each post of the massive doorway and two bravos stretched at full length on the benches to the right and left were on guard and expecting their call to partake of the remains of the signor's table the father stood still in the attitude of one who was prepared to wait but one of the bravos rose and called to him father father come forward we don't make capuchins wait here we are friends of the convent and i have sometimes been within it when the air outside was not very good for me and when if the door had been closed upon me i should have fared badly so saying he gave two strokes of the knocker which were answered immediately from within by the howling and yelling of mastiffs and curs and in a few moments by an old grumbling servant but seeing the father he made him a low bow quieted the animals with hand and voice introduced the visitor into a narrow passage and closed the door again he then conducted him into a small apartment and regarding him with a surprised and respectful look said are you not father cristoforo of pescarinico i am you here as you see my good man it must be to do good then good continued he muttering between his breath as he still led the way good may be done anywhere having passed through two or three dark apartments they at last reached the door of the dining-room where they were greeted with a loud and confused noise of knives forks glasses pewter dishes and above all of discordant voices alternately endeavouring to take the lead in conversation the friar wished to withdraw and was debating at the door with the servant and begging permission to wait in some corner of the house till dinner was over when the door opened a certain count attilio who was sitting opposite he was a cousin of don rodrigo 
and we have already mentioned him without giving his name, seeing a shaved head and monk's habit, and perceiving the modest intentions of the good friar, exclaimed, Aha! Aha! You shan't make your escape, reverend father. Forward! Forward! Don Rodrigo, without precisely divining the object of this visit, had a sort of presentiment of what awaited him, and would have been glad to avoid it. But since Attilio had thoughtlessly given this blunt invitation, he was obliged to second it, and said, Come in, father, come in. The friar advanced, making a low bow to the host, and respectfully responded to the salutations of the guests. It is usual, I do not say invariable, to represent the innocence in the presence of the wicked with an open countenance, an air of security, an undaunted heart, and a ready facility of expression. In reality, however, many circumstances are required to produce this behaviour, which are rarely met with in combination. It will not, therefore, be wondered at that Friar Cristoforo, with the testimony of a good conscience and a firm persuasion of the justice of the cause he had come to advocate, together with a mingled feeling of horror and compassion for Don Rodrigo, stood, nevertheless, with a certain air of timidity and submissiveness, in the presence of this same Don Rodrigo, who was seated before him in an armchair, in his own house, on his own estate, surrounded by his friends and many indications of his power, with every homage paid to him, and with an expression of countenance that would at once prohibit the making of a request, much more the giving advice, correction, or reproof. On his right sat Count Attilio, his cousin, and, it is needless to say, his companion in libertinism and oppression, who had come from Milan to spend a few days with him. To his left, and on the other side of the table, was seated, with a profound respect, tempered, however, with a certain air of security, and even arrogance, the Signor Podesta, the person whose business it was professedly to administer justice to Renzo Tramaglino, and inflict upon Don Rodrigo one of the appointed penalties. Opposite the Podesta, in an attitude of the purest, most unbounded servility, sat our doctor, Azeca Garbugli, with his black cap and more than usually red nose, and facing the cousins were two obscure guests, whom our story merely records that they did nothing but eat, bow their heads, and smile approval at everything uttered by a fellow-guest, provided another did not contradict it. End of chapter 5, part 1